Section 88 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain Letter 119 London, October 22nd, Old Style, 1750 My dear friend, This letter will, I am persuaded, find you, and I hope safely, arrived at Montpellier, from whence I trust that Mr. Hart's indisposition will, by being totally removed, allow you to get to Paris before Christmas. You will there find two people who, though both English, I recommend in the strongest manner possible to your attention, and advise you to form the most intimate connections with them both, in their different ways. The one is a man whom you already know something of, but not near enough. It is the Earl of Huntington, who next to you is the truest object of my affection and esteem, and who, I am proud to say it, calls me and considers me as his adopted father. His parts are as quick as his knowledge is extensive, and if quality were worth putting into an account, where every other item is so much more valuable, he is the first almost in this country. The figure he will make in it, soon after he returns to it, will, if I am not much more mistaken than I ever was in my life, equal his birth and my hopes. Such a connection will be of infinite advantage to you, and I can assure you that he is extremely disposed to form it upon my account and will, I hope and believe, desire to improve and cement it upon your own. In our parliamentary government, connections are absolutely necessary, and if prudentially formed and ably maintained, the success of them is infallible. There are two sorts of connections which I would always advise you to have in view. The first I will call equal ones, by which I mean those where the two connecting parties reciprocally find their account, from pretty near an equal degree of parts and abilities. In those there must be a freer communication, each must see that the other is able, and be convinced that he is willing to be of use to him. Honour must be the principle of such connections, and there must be a mutual dependence, that present and separate interests shall not be able to break them. There must be a joint system of action, and in case of different opinions, each must recede a little, in order at last to form an unanimous one. Such, I hope, will be your connection with Lord Huntington. You will both come into Parliament at the same time, and if you have an equal share of abilities and application, you and he, with other young people, with whom you will naturally associate, may form a band which will be respected by any administration, and make a figure in the public. The other sort of connections I call unequal ones, that is, where the parts are all on one side, and the rank and fortune on the other. Here the advantage is all on one side, but that advantage must be ably and artfully concealed. Complacence, an engaging manner, and a patient toleration of certain airs of superiority must cement them. The weaker party must be taken by the heart, his head giving no hold, and he must be governed by being made to believe that he governs. These people, skilfully led, give great weight to their leader. I have formerly pointed out to you a couple that I take to be proper objects for your skill and you will meet with twenty more, for they are very rife. The other person whom I recommend to you is a woman, not as a woman, for that is not immediately my business. Besides, I fear that she is turned of fifty. It is Lady Hervey, whom I directed you to call upon at Dijon, but who, to my great joy, because to your great advantage, passes all this winter at Paris. She has been bred all her life at courts, of which she has acquired all the easy good breeding and politeness without the frivolousness. She has all the reading that a woman should have, 
and more than any woman need have, for she understands Latin perfectly well, though she wisely conceals it. As she will look upon you as her son, I desire that you will look upon her as my delegate. Trust, consult, and apply to her without reserve. No woman ever had more than she has. Le ton de la parfaitement bonne compagnie, les manières engageantes, et le je ne sais quoi qui plaît. Desire her to reprove and correct any and every the least error and inaccuracy in your manners, air, address, etc. No woman in Europe can do it so well. None will do it more willingly, or in a more proper and obliging manner. In such a case, she will not put you out of countenance, by telling you of it in company, but either intimate it by some sign, or wait for an opportunity when you are alone together. She is also in the best French company, where she will not only introduce but puff you, if I may use so low a word. And I can assure you that it is no little help in the beau monde to be puffed there by a fashionable woman. I send you the enclosed billet to carry her, only as a certificate of the identity of your person, which I take it for granted she could not know again. You would be so much surprised to receive a whole letter from me without any mention of the exterior ornaments necessary for a gentleman, as manners, elocution, air, address, graces, etc., that to comply with your expectations I will touch upon them, and tell you that when you come to England I will show you some people, whom I do not now care to name, raised to the highest station singly by those exterior and adventitious ornaments, whose parts would never have entitled them to the smallest office in the excise. Are they then necessary and worth acquiring, or not? You will see many instances of this kind at Paris, particularly a glaring one, of a person, Monsieur le Maréchal de Richelieu, raised to the highest posts and dignities in France, as well as to be absolute sovereign of the Beaumont, simply by the graces of his person and address, by a woman's chit-chat, accompanied with important gestures, by an imposing air and pleasing abord. Nay, by these helps he even passes for a wit, though he hath certainly no uncommon share of it. I will not name him, because it would be very imprudent in you to do it. A young fellow, at his first entrance into the Beaumont, must not offend the king de facto there. It is very often more necessary to conceal contempt than resentment, the former forgiven, but the latter sometimes forgot. There is a small quarto book entitled Histoire chronologique de la France, lately published by Le Président Henault, a man of parts and learning, with whom you will probably get acquainted at Paris. I desire that it may always lie upon your table, for your recourse as often as you read history. The chronology, though chiefly relative to the history of France, is not singly confined to it, but the most interesting events of all the rest of Europe are also inserted, and many of them adorned by short, pretty, and just reflections. The new edition of Les Mémoires de Sully, in three quarto volumes, is also extremely well worth your reading, as it will give you a clearer and truer notion of one of the most interesting periods of French history, than you can yet have formed from all the other books you may have read upon the subject. That prince, I mean Henry the Fourth, had all the accomplishments and virtues of a hero, and of a king, and almost of a man the last are the most rarely seen. May you possess them all. Adieu. Pray, make my compliments to Mr. Hart, and let him know that I have this moment received his letter of the twelfth, new style, from Antibes. It requires no immediate answer, 
I shall therefore delay mine till I have another from him. Give him the enclosed, which I have received from Mr. Elliot. End of section 88. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.